Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you everybody for tuning in to Step Into Your Sunshine today. My name is Rachel Kudran. I am the Etsy boutique owner of Kudran's Curiosities and also the owner of RC Copywriting. Today, I have a special treat for you guys, a powerhouse successful woman, and I would love for her to introduce herself. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. I was like so excited for this call. So I showed up an hour early. <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Pilega Petanakis, and I live actually on Vancouver Island, BC, Canada. But I was born and raised in Estonia. I ended up moving to Canada when I was in my 20s. Um, went from a classical flute university student to not knowing what I was doing here in Canada, but have now found my way. And um, yeah, now I work in hair care. So I'm a mom of two. I love riding motorcycles, as you can probably see. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just living my best life uh, on my own terms now. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, Pile. My first question for you is, what were some of the defining moments in your life that shaped who you are? Oh, my goodness. This is such a loaded question. Um, probably me packing up my stuff and moving countries when I was 20 years old with a guy I barely knew. So it was in my university days when I was uh, waitressing. It was actually a French crepe restaurant where I was waitressing and this guy walks in. And anyway, long story short, um, he was from Canada. So I ended up moving here with him after knowing him for two months. I literally left everything behind. My music studies, like literally that was, that was the moment when I felt like everything changed because I all of a sudden I didn't, didn't want anything to do with music anymore. I felt like I was almost like, broken free from I don't know whatever was holding me down before and I felt like I could do anything I wanted um that sort of goes back to me being from a family where everybody was a musician my mom is a composer she's ran a music school in Estonia for years and years I think 35 years or something now my grandpa was a saxophone and clarinet professor so when I was done high school, it was just like a thing that, okay, yeah, you're going to go to the conservatory. You're going to do music because that's what our family does. And I felt like I had no choice. Like I did, I was curious about business. I was curious about other things, but they're like, no, no, no. Like, this is what we do. And I, I don't know. I, I just didn't even argue with it. So when I ended up here in Canada, I kind of felt like, oh my gosh, like nobody's telling me what I'm supposed to be and yeah it, it kind of went from there I never ended up really going back to music after that wow so, so the move really broke you free it empowered you to start on a new path um, yeah that's and something I mean, sorry <laughs> I apologize okay continue Pile. I'm sorry no what I was just gonna say is that I literally felt like I didn't know even what to do with myself, but I I knew that it wasn't music. Uh, for the first time ever, I felt like I was in charge. And it's so weird to, you know, for somebody who's 20 years old to say that the parents were in charge, but that's that's what I kind of felt like 
that like I had to follow whatever they were saying. It, it's so bizarre. So, um, but yeah, so that the move was what really changed everything for me, like completely. Okay. Do you think that um, the culture in Estonia was something that affected um, your kind of adherence to whatever rules um, or expectations they said and or set for you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Big time. So everybody probably knows that Estonia used to be one of the Soviet countries up until 1991 when we broke free. So we lived within very set boundaries and rules and like, you know, it was also the era when kids were to be seen, but not heard. So you know, a lot of us in my, you know, in my class at school, like we, we were, we, we want, we knew that there was something else out there. We knew that there were, the life should have been a little bit different. So we tried to rebel and, you know, the school uniforms with a little uh, pin of Lenin that we had to wear, or if you forgot this, the thing, oh my gosh, you were in principal's office right away. So we tried to do all kinds of things like show up to school in our normal clothes. And we got into so much trouble for that. We were not allowed to have pierced ears. Well, guess who was the first one to go and do it anyway? Oh, <laughs> uh, got into principal's office for that one. So yeah, it was like living in these boxes and following rules because that's what the whole communism was all about, right? Like really restricting people and making them think only one way. And uh, yeah, so no wonder once I ended up here, I was like, whoa. <laughs> What are we going to do? But um, I have to tell you about one really funny thing that happened to me. And I still remember it. I think I was about four or five years old. We were at a wedding. And, you know, again, remember that kids have to be seen but not heard. I got up on a table, like literally climbed up on a table. And I was like, everybody be quiet. I have a song to sing. And I, and I sang a song. There, there were so many people and I still remember it. I'm, I'm thinking, what? I, I don't know what possessed me to do it or what forces took over me, but I sang a song. <laughs> so I, I remember that, that, you know, I remember that moment as one of the, one of the things where I, you know, kind of started pushing out of the, whatever, the boundaries that were set. And uh, yeah. It's 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 a pretty funny one. I still laugh at it, and I'm so surprised that I, I actually remember it, and my parents still laugh over it too. So, <laughs> so for me, that's showing me that you were destined to be rebellious. I think so. It just and it served you well. It has served you well. I know in my story, um, you know, you moved to another country in your 20s, kind of on a whim with someone you barely knew and all of that. And and mine was slightly more uh, structured. um, But I did the same thing. And when I was 28, I moved to France from the US. I was born and raised there. I thought I knew my path. Um, and I thought I knew what my life was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then um, in August, when I was talking to my husband, because he's French, we decided that we were going to move to France. And we had already planned a visit back to France in December. So we thought, well, why not move there? So quite literally, in a span of about four months, we 
packed up everything in our house. We put our house on the market. We uh, got everything arranged for our dog to come too. Cause I told him if, you know, dog doesn't come, I don't come. Mm. I was pregnant at the time and uh, we moved to France. We had no jobs waiting for us. We had no housing. We had no plan. And I can really, really relate to, you know, moving to a new place and quite literally starting your life over. Mm-hmm. Now for you, I am very envious of the fact that you immediately felt empowered, that you had broken free from your shell and you could do anything. Because mm-hmm. for me, I felt immediately disempowered the moment that I stepped off the plane because it came kind of like a crashing tidal wave into mm-hmm. my life that I had no more autonomy. I'm oh. sh- I don't know, but I think from previous stories I've heard about you, you didn't speak English when you moved to Canada. Very little, very little. Right. This is my story. But when I moved to France, I spoke very, very little French as well. And the amount of autonomy that's taken from you is astounding and that people don't really understand is that people kind of dream up this life of if you live in a different country, then all things are glossy and gold and sparkly and beautiful. Yet the reality for me was I felt disempowered. I felt alone. I felt isolated. I felt like I was incapable of doing almost the most basic necessities. And when I went to the hospital, I had to have my husband with me every time for every appointment. And then I was treated as like a third person to my own pregnancy. I couldn't open my own bank account because of language barriers and understanding how the systems worked. And I have several other examples. It was just so emotional for me. And it's really taken me, the first two years I lived in France, there was often times when I thought I should just move, excuse me, I should just move back to the US. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm strong enough to handle this. Mm-hmm. Yet, I stayed and I thought, my daughter makes me incredibly happy. There are some minuscule things that I like about living in France. And I held on to those, like, like dug my claws in and just focus on all of the good things that I was experiencing. And now that I'm four and a half years down the road, I think this is where I want to live. And now I'm feeling, now I feel the empowerment and the, the knowledge that I went through one of the most difficult times in my life where I felt like I had no power, no autonomy, no ability to take care of myself. And then to look at myself now, it's just like, I'm in a totally new person. I'm in a different space and I have so much more power and so much more to give into the world because of what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Hey, like moving to a different country and, how the culture and language is how everything just it can be intimidating I mean I remember when I first got to Canada I I mean I had learned English all through my school years but our teacher was Russian and she did not speak English she was just reading from the book and so we mostly did just like written work because of her own limitations so I really 
I didn't have much of an experience when it came to spoken language. So I was like afraid just to open my mouth because I was like, well, what if I'm going to pronounce something wrong? And what if people will laugh? And all those funny doubts were creeping in. And um, to get over that, I decided that, you know what? I'm just going to work at retail. So I got myself a job at a department store just so that I would be forced to talk to people. And, you know, I just had no other way around it. And, you know, it, it just ended up happening that, you know, <laughs> I can now communicate and speak like a normal human. But those fears were so real. So I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Yes. So, okay, let's go into our next question. And I want to ask you, what was the most difficult challenge you have faced and how did you overcome it? Either in your personal life or in your business or if they relate to each other? Oh, my goodness. I don't even. Mm, that's a tricky one. So... Aside from moving countries, because that was that was challenging on its own, but much needed. But I would say figuring out my way how to get out of my job and start working for myself. That was something. So long story short, um, once I came to Canada, I did the sales associate job. I even tried to go back into the music by volunteering at the Finnish Cultural Center in Calgary, Alberta. And so I volunteered as their pianist for their choir. So anyway, th that spark was not there. <laughs> it did not come back. Um, and then I ended up actually going uh, back to school and I became a licensed optician and a licensed contact lens fitter. So a complete 180 from anything I had done before. Um, but you know, I did that for 15 years. I actually became super successful in that. People were searching me out to like manage optical clinics or like eyewear clinics. And um, and that's how I ended up actually moving from Calgary to Vancouver Island, which is about 1200 kilometers away um, because I was offered a really nice job here. But it was one of those things where you're always serving others. You're always trying to make you know, help somebody. And it's also like any medical environment, it's never a positive environment. You know, people come in and they have problems. They have some kind of a complaint. Nobody ever came in and said that, oh my gosh, I just wanted to let you know that my retinas are amazing today. <laughs> like nobody would ever do that. <laughs> it would always be like, oh, I have this and that problem. I can't see whatever. So I always felt like as a somewhat of an empath, I was absorbing other people's problems in that job. So when I came home, every day I just felt so exhausted because I was carrying other people's issues on my back and being sort of in that managerial role as well. My phone never stopped ringing. It's, you know, when, when there was something going on in the shop where you know, the people that were working there with me, they weren't able to figure things out, I would get those phone calls. And so having two kids at home, husband who works away from home, and uh, just being in that kind of a rat race that was emotionally fairly draining. Um, you know, I was always kind of trying to find a way out, like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, how can I get out? Like, my biggest fear was that I have to do this until I'm 65. And I knew that I couldn't. <laughs> I was going to be in the loony bin way before that time, unless I changed something. So 
that was the, the the scary part was just finding out what uh, what was kind of going to happen next. Thankfully, my husband is super, super supportive. Uh, so when I had an idea of starting up an, like an eyewear distribution company, so how it works in the optical industry for any eyewear is that there's manufacturers and then they sell their frames to distributors in all sorts of different countries. Those distributors have salesmen who go from store to store and actually then the shops can choose whatever styles they want in the stores. So I had this grand idea that, you know what, maybe we should start an eyewear distribution company. So we ended up actually finding an amazing handmade line from France. Uh, it was called Variation Design. They're still super successful. So we became like their Canadian um, exclusive distributor. And I had never done this before. I had just I had been on the buying end of things, buying frames for the store, but I had never been on the distribution end. But we pretty much ended up pulling all our savings while I was still working in the optical as a manager, but ended up doing that on the side and hiring salesmen. And it was really, really crazy. And it was scary. I think I slept four hours every night because there was that desire of doing something and getting things off the ground. But it was really, really, really hard. And uh and that was not it. We did it for six years, <laughs> but it was just so exhausting. So the reward and whatever the time that was put into it, like things were just not like matching up at all. So we ended up cutting our losses and actually shutting that whole thing down. And uh, then I was like, well, <laughs> what's next? Because I don't want to do this optical thing forever. And that's when I got this really, you know, one of those messages on Facebook, the Hey Girl, <laughs> we have this opportunity. <laughs> we know that, yeah. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go again. So I didn't like say anything. And the lady comes back, hey, whatever. So I declined her a few times. And in the end, I said to my husband that this lady gives messaging me about this hair care. I don't know, it's supposed to grow hair back. I, I, I don't know what it is, but like she, like... I was like, here's my phone, just type something so she would go away because I don't have time. Like, I'm so busy and I'm so tired. And then my husband is like, well, what is this? Like, what is she talking about? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, once my husband found out a bit more, he's like, you should do this. <laughs> and I'm like, um, you are like really crazy. So no. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, do you know how many people are struggling with these things? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just go to the hairdresser and I do whatever. And like, I'm happy. <laughs> well, later on, I found out that I really wasn't. But but yeah, so I ended up jumping into network marketing with Monate Global back in 2015, August. And um, I was just like, you know what? The worst case scenario, I'm going to switch my you know household shampoos and stuff out to non-toxic. And, you know, if my hair gets better, even better, you know, let's just see what happens. And uh, five months later, so January 2016, I had like exceeded my corporate eye care medical salary and I actually quit my job. So and it's because my husband said I should try it. And he's he's not the person who would ever, <laughs> ever do a business like this himself. He's really good at encouraging, but but he's like, no, 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 like <laughs> I I will not open my mouth. But yeah, so it was a little bit of a scary moment even then, quitting in January 2016, but 
something told me that I, I have to so that I could focus more on this because if five months of, you know, working on this part-time gave me those kinds of results, I was like, what would happen if I did it full-time? So, so that was kind of like a whole bunch of like scary emotional stuff, trying to figure out how to break out of that corporate culture and, you know, where they tell you that this is where things are secure. What about healthcare? You know, all those things. And they tried to hold you down again. And I allowed myself to be stuck there for 15 years before realizing that, oh my gosh, here I am stuck again. I need to get out. <laughs> Your rebellious side came through again. Yes. <laughs> and no, but I think it's more than maybe rebellious is not the right wording, but intrinsically motivated to do more and mm. not settle for where you're at. Because I think so many listeners and women and men can relate to this idea of being boxed in like okay I finished my schooling I have x degree and mm -hmm. now I have this job and this is my box and this is where I belong and you know some people I don't want to be in the box but other people are like leave my box alone because it's a nice comfortable box mm -hmm. And I think that so many people, like society just urges us to move into the box, to go through the, the pathway of schooling, or if you decide not to go to school, mm -hmm. and then develop a trade, and then still remain in the box. The mm -hmm. idea, work for money, and a job that you do labor or uses your mind, and then you're always stuck in what you referred to earlier as the rat race of always trying to catch up, never being ahead and always trying to catch up. And I, for me, another thing that's been more prevalent recently in my life is this acknowledgement that we, one, society is designed to remain in the rat race. Two is that even with all of my schooling I've been through. So 12 years of high school, I mean like elementary, primary, high school, uh, school, and then five years at university and another two years getting my master's, I never once was taught about investments mm. and or really how money works in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was always this idea that you were just going to get a job, money was going to come to you from that way solely and then you were going to pay for your expenses provide for your family and rinse and repeat over and over and over again and I think that a lot of our listeners would be able to relate to that lifestyle because that is what they have been doing or that is the ideals that they have been raised on do you have any thoughts about that oh my gosh absolutely I mean it's it all starts in the kindergarten right like just like you said you know this is what we do we go to school we get good grades we behave and you know we don't break any laws and then we're gonna not that I'm recommending anybody to break any laws but but yeah and then you get the job and you stay at that job that you were trained for and then you put money away into your like whatever here in Canada, we call them RRSPs. So I don't know what it is in the in the States or Europe, like your uh, retirement savings funds, basically. Mm -hmm. 
but nobody tells you that that's not enough to live off of. <laughs> I mean, and nobody talks to you about other options out there. It's just so narrow-minded that they teach children, even, even these days. Well, with my own kids, I see that. I mean, my son is now 18. He just finished his first year of university. And my daughter, my, my daughter is 10 and I'm homeschooling her. So now that I'm homeschooling her, I feel like, oh my gosh, like I can actually be more involved in the information that she receives and how she receives it. So, you know, we try to do more entrepreneurial things with her and you know she's really good at digital art so now she wants to open up her own t-shirt shop online and I think it's amazing for a 10 year old but but that's not how we were raised right it's so narrow-minded and a lot of people can never get out of it it literally feels like a trap it's that corporate dream that they sell you right it's like oh my gosh once you get the job with a government or with a big corporation that you're going to be set and it's it's further from truth in most cases I find um it's just and the other thing for me that was almost like a shock so in Europe people get like a decent vacation every year maybe a month or whatever when I came to North America when I came to Canada when I found out that I get two weeks <laughs> out of the whole year as my vacation and then five sick days I, I literally couldn't believe it I'm like what do you mean like two weeks every six months <laughs> they're like no 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 for the whole year um yeah it's just really feels like a trap and I almost feel like I need to be on a mission to open you know women's eyes out there that hey like you can do better than this like you can be more present with your children you can you can be more relaxed yourself. Like you just have to change the way you think and the things that you're doing. Absolutely. I think that's such a important message to send to your daughter and to also to send to our listeners. And I resonate with that quite well with my daughter is I want more than anything to homeschool my daughter. And yet because I live in France and they have recently passed laws against homeschooling right now. I don't have that opportunity and I will see how things play out over the next few years. And because it is really important to me, I, one, I do have backgrounds in teaching. I have degrees in elementary education. I have degrees in teaching English as a second language and, um, and I know that, you know, on that side of things that I am well equipped to teach my daughter accurately the things that she needs to know um, throughout all of her levels of school. And then the other side of me is exactly what you expressed, is that I want her to think in a more entrepreneurial way. I want her to be able to really digest and think about what is happening and not just play into the system, not just say, well, I have, these are my choices and I must select one is I want her to say, you know, no, I want to create my own choices. Like I'm the decider of my future. I get to decide what choice or in what path I'm going to go down rather than having a narrow list of these are the things that are good for you. Mm -hmm. And I really, really resonate with that. And I think a lot of the listeners that we'll have will do the same because I know that in the heart of hearts of entrepreneurs, they always wonder and worry about their children. Will they 
grow up in the same system and be limited in the same kind of ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. It's something I think about all the time, even with my son who is in university now, but I'm just like, you know, yeah, you could work for a huge big corporation. He's taking computer science. So he's, you know, looking into things like Apple and Tesla and whatever, but I'm like, you know what? Um, yeah, you could work for them for a little bit if you want to, but like, maybe you can do something with that knowledge yourself, like create something yourself so that you don't have to play by somebody else's rules. Um, Cause yeah, like the, I think our own life experiences, like we have been through all kinds of different things and there's things that yes, we want our kids to experience. And then there's others that we're like, oh, I just don't want that part for their life. And you can uh, try to guide them in a different way so that they would you know, benefit more and have have a better life in whichever way possible. Absolutely. And I think for all the women that are listening in, I, I want to talk to you guys right now because right now I'm reading a book called Financial Feminist. I don't know or feminist, it's financial feminist. And it talks about how historically women are put into positions to be less than and uh, laws to be less than I know in the U.S. I believe it stated it wasn't until the 1970s and that women were actually able to get their own credit cards without the approval of men. It also talks about this idea that even from a young age that men are taught and expected to be like the providers of the house and to have more leadership roles. And I have observed that even in the clothing stores uh, here in France and the words that they choose for clothes for girls versus boys, it's been really shocking. And throughout this book, it, it, give, it provides several different examples of how and why that women are not as finan- financially sound as men, N- not academically, but because like society, society has planned or historically things have happened to put women in such a place. Mm-hmm. And um, for her, like her whole mantra and purpose is to get women out of that place, to get them where they are financially secure. And it's incredible to me when she's going through all the stats and she talks about like shopping or you have credit cards in the U.S. Uh, for specific stores and, you know, all of your lovely, all of the stores have credit cards yeah. and mo- many of them have multi-levels uh, for credit cards. And yeah. it talks about how women are more specifically targeted for shopping and for credit cards. And then they're not told the whole story. So they also have more debt than men. And mm. then it talks about the society ideal that we have right now, where men feel that women spend more and that uh, you're going to have more debt. We need to talk about your debt because obviously you're going to have more than I do just simply by being female. And Mm. it kind of breaks down all of these things uh, that it's not so simple as like, 
you're female and you spend more money than me. It's also that we're exposed to more ads, we're targeted more often, we're asked more often about credit cards, we don't have the the same uh, opportunities and teachings growing up about finances. And I think that that was I knew a lot of that before I read it, but it was just kind of a cumulation of, wow, you know, this is how we ended up being where we are today. And this is why it's so important for not only me to understand how the finances of the world work, but that it's important that I teach my daughter and that we teach our daughters how finances work in the world. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, that's so true. That's so true because I think I think it's so true um, that fem- females are the ones who tend to be making most of the, you know, shopping decisions in the household. I mean, it's usually us who do grocery shopping. It's us who buy the clothes for the kids, and you know, I don't know when you need a new vacuum. It's usually us who end up buying those things. And advertisers, they know, I mean, they've done their market research, so they know exactly what buttons to press and, you know, make the ads and things like super emotional so that we would, you know, go along with it. We we like know all the tricks, but we still go along with it. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing would make me feel this certain way. And, and you know, I, I need this, although you maybe don't even need to need it. But, but yeah, I think just, to teach our daughters and other ladies out there as well that hey like these are the things to look out for this is these are sort of the I don't want to say tricks but you know the, these ones are the tactics that the that the society is taking to get you to spend more so which is all fine but just be aware to it and like maybe don't fall for it every single time um so yeah what was that book called because I will need to write that down I'm always yeah. interested in reading new it's books. called a financial feminist okay oh yeah it's fantastic I have loved every part of it I've only read it halfway and so I'm already learning all of these things so interesting I think so so one thing I want to ask you next is we've talked about your story we've talked about how we both have this desire to teach our children to be and do more so mm-hmm. How do you identify and cultivate your strengths? And how do you identify and cultivate your the strengths in your children? Oh, my goodness. So I am somebody who does a lot of like personal development. I have like a stack of books always on the go, audio books. Usually there's multiples going because I get bored with things really easily. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that podcasts. And honestly, whenever I pick up something that's like, ah, that's like an aha moment for me, I tend to share it with them or try to relate it into something in everyday life and and just use anything I learn myself because I am a true believer that we as adults, we should never stop learning because the moment we do, our brain goes mushy and we become become this vegetable that's just, you know, you just start going downhill. So I always try to keep myself super busy with that. But um, just whatever I learn, I try to pass it on to them as long as it's, you know, something relevant to them or or whatever. Um, but yeah, and never think that your child is too young to absorb most of that information out there. They're smarter than we know. And they're so, their intuition is so amazing. Um 
so you know don't be afraid to use like more of these adult big words with the kids because they they will understand and I think it makes makes them more curious hopefully in the end as well and gets them asking questions and um yeah it's amazing like some of the conversations I'm having with my 10 year old like it's it's things that I would I think under normal circumstances or maybe in the past myself I would have thought that oh that's like way too much to talk about with a 10 year old but but yeah it's any sort of a topic whatever it may be we talk a lot a lot of um I can't even speak I had too much coffee today (laughs) um like even how the government works like how the financial thing works like where do our taxes go like it's it's not too much for a 10 year old and I think at least I used to think that it was, oh my gosh, this is like a high school talk. But no, I don't think it's ever too early to start talking about these kinds of things. I 100% agree. I think that you just take the big concepts and you sort of break it down to what is appropriate for that child mm-hmm. and that age level. And for me, one of the first things that we did, we did it last year in August. Well, actually, we started before August, because the end date and goal date was August. And we had a picture that it just had like numbers and um, goals on it. And uh, like, I drew a picture of going to the beach, because that was our goal for our family. And I had an envelope below it. And so every time we would make it a family event where my daughter who at the time was three or actually two at like two end of her twos beginning of her threes and she would be the one that would put the money in the envelope and then draw on like the little thermometer of how you know how close we are to our goal and because it was important to me that she was involved in the process. She understood that we had to save, we had to put money to the side to be able to afford X trip. Yes. And, and then this year, what we're doing is she she's fully potty trained now, yes, even through the night, and she got a piggy bank. And I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? I mean, she's So she's almost four and she has little chores. They're not mandatory, but if she like cleans the living room up from all of her toys, then she gets a coin or two. If she helps set the table, if she like picks up her room or uh, makes her bed or, you know, does something that's really nice or generous, then she gets, you know, a kind of a token for it, if you will. And because I want to instill that, you know, working hard for something that you want. And last weekend we went to the store because she was like, well, can I turn in my money from the piggy bank? And I said, okay, but first we have to go through it. You have to do, you can, 20% of it is going into your savings. You have to keep it in your piggy bank for next time. I said, 10%, we're going to give it to somebody else. And then 70%, if you choose to spend it all, then you can. And sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy that I'm having these conversations with my four-year-old or almost four-year-old. And it's because I believe in that same mentality that when I think of my earliest financial experiences, I don't want them to necessarily, I don't want them to be the same for Ibiono, my daughter. I want her 
when she looks back on what has she been taught about finances, I want her to see the difference in the places that she could go and the way that things were specifically structured for her to experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that you're doing that. I think that's so awesome because yeah, kids are so impressionable when they're, when they're little and they remember things, right? I mean, so many things that we do as adults is because of something that happened far in our childhood. We may not even remember what it was, but it shapes the way we behave. We talk, we, we do everything. So I think that's going to be such a positive impact on her life. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I a hundred percent agree that um, throughout my experience with personal development, and I am also the serial reader of where I read like four or five books as Sam simultaneously and have one on Audible. Yes, that is me too. And <laughs> um, and I just like, you know, well, maybe I'm not in the mood for this one or hmm, I'm done with that. I read a chapter. Let's move on to the next one. And I think it's also something good to show the children is like reading, you know, telling them that this idea or this mentality came from this book, you know, because I'm constantly learning and wanting to increase my knowledge about myself and about things around me and people around me and how to expand my business and, um, you know, how to live a more prosperous life and all of the things. Mm. And I think that is very important to model to our children. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we can't rely on the school system coming back to that topic to do that for us, because it's just, they're not going to get it from there. Like it's, it's really entirely on us as, as parents. Yes, I agree with that. The last question I'm going to ask you, Pile, is what advice would you give to someone who is trying to find their path in life? Okay. So this is a very loaded question again. You are good at this. <laughs> so, okay. My biggest advice would be that what I've learned in my 45 years on this planet, um, if you feel like you need to be doing something or if you feel like you're being pulled towards something. Um, oh, we have a visitor. I don't know if you see me, but um, okay. Violet, it's time to go. It's the damn cat. Um, she likes Zoom. <laughs> So if you feel a pull towards something, um, you need to explore it, even if it doesn't seem like the timing is right, even if it feels like, you know, that, oh, that I'm not good at it, or I, oh, this is not for somebody like me, I'm too old, I'm too young, whatever the heck your excuse is, like, I wanted to listen to that inner voice, because that's another thing that the society has kind of taught women is to push down your intuition it's like oh you need to be a realistic like what the heck is that anyway um you need to be listening to your inner voice because 99 of the time it is correct and it can take you to absolutely amazing places but you need to listen to it and you need to act on it as well as scary as it may seem sometimes i swear it's gonna take you to a whole another level if you do listen to it so and another thing is, do it before you're ready. A lot, I see a lot of people, even in my business, saying that, oh, I'm going to join, I'm going to do this, you know, when the timing is better or, or when I'm ready. And I always ask them, what would have to happen for the timing to feel ready? And they don't even know themselves what that is. 
So, you know, jump into things as you feel, as you as you feel those kind of thoughts and ideas coming up. I mean, this is how I ended up riding a motorcycle. I didn't want to ride a motorcycle, but one day I was like, oh, maybe I should. I was on the back of somebody's motorcycle and I'm like, I should be riding this thing myself. And uh, the next thing I knew, two months later, I had my license, but it's it's one of those things that you have to act on your intuition because it may turn into something so incredible in your life. Like, I, I cannot stress it enough. Just stop waiting for the right time because th there won't ever be one. Next thing that you know is that you're 85, 90 years old and you're thinking, oh, I should have. Oh, yeah, I remember when I was thinking of doing that, but I never did it. Um, you hear all these old people and, you know, them how, how they talk about some stuff. And they have so many regrets and it just breaks my heart because they didn't listen to their little inner voice. I'm giving you a round of applause because I just so much, you like light a fire in me when I hear that because I can feel your passion. I can see it on the screen that that is really coming from your heart and your soul. And I agree so much is that, um, society does limit our intuition and learning to lean into that and pay attention to what it's saying, whether it's good or it's bad, what is it attracting you to, but also what is it repelling you from? And because it's important and you are right that most of the time it is correct and it is the direction that we should be going in. And for me, this is how this whole podcast came about, is I knew that I should do a podcast. I was told that I should do a, po a podcast, and yet I made up the excuse that I didn't know how to not move to towards it earlier. And now that I'm here, when I did my very first recording, I knew I was like, this is where I belong. And I'm ready. And this is going to be marvelous and fantastic. And I am just, I can feel myself getting all fiery here. And on your last part, do it before you're ready. I think this is brilliant advice. Everybody listen, that you should move before you are ready. You know, just like me and Pile, we moved quite literally before we were ready. And then we figured it out along the way. And so many of us in the entrepreneurial world, we move before we're ready. The highly successful people like Pile, like other individuals in the industry, they moved before they were 100% ready. And you can do this too. Absolutely. Well, it's been so much fun chatting with you here today. Like you got me myself fired up and I'm so excited for your podcast to listen to all the different episodes and people that you're going to be bringing on. And I'm so proud of you that you listen to that inner voice because we wouldn't be here today if you didn't. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you, Pile. I I'm so thankful and blessed that you chose to come on today and that we've had this wonderful talk. And I know that many parents and people that will tune in are going to feel fired up when they listen to this. And then it's going to change their perspective and potentially the choices they make with their own children. Mm -hmm. Now, our next episode will be on uh, June the 29th. 
So I can't wait to see you guys all there. And I hope you have loved this episode. I would love to hear your comments, your thoughts about the things that we talked about today. And I look forward to hearing from you soon.